seated out there this morning. Thank you for being here this morning as we're continuing our sermon series, Hope in Hard Times. Before we do that, though, I would just like to take just a, a moment here uh, and remind you all that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I want to publicly appreciate Angelo and Lance. Okay, I see Angelo back there. Lance, wherever you may be. Uh, Lance, for just leading us each and every week for all you guys do. These guys, especially during COVID when we were online, they were working hours and hours and hours and hours above and beyond. And uh, I appreciate you guys, and I know that our church does too. And I want to just tell both you guys, hey, I love you. I do. Amen. Amen. In many of our churches during during that time, uh, it felt like the IT guy became the most important person on the entire church staff. Uh, and, and Angelo and Lance actually doubled as the IT guys, and I certainly doubled as the guy that kept calling the IT guys. So uh, thank you guys. We appreciate you both for all that you do for our church. You, you uh, uh, this morning as we're, we're finishing up in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, I want to tell you a little bit of, of a story from my past. Uh, many years ago, I worked for Lowe's, as many of you know, and we saw some of the most interesting of customers. And one of the most interesting customers that I ever saw, a uh, guy came in and he bought a pallet of sod. And if you've ever seen a pallet of sod, it stands about this high and, you know, it's about four foot by four foot. And it's quite heavy. And he had a, uh, a Ford Explorer and he decided that the pallet of sod was going to fit on the inside of his Ford Explorer. And so we loaded some of it in the back as you lay the seats down, but it got to a point to where we were noticing that the vehicle was a little too heavy, and I instructed my staff, do not load any more of this sod in that person's vehicle. It, we're reaching dangerous capacity, and I don't want to be responsible for that. And, of course, the customer and I got into an argument about it, and I said, sir, if you want to load it, you're welcome to do so, but we're not going to assist you with this any further. Uh, and so, of course, he did. And so he loaded the entire back of his Ford Explorer with as much sod as he could. And, and, and even to a point to where he, he couldn't get all of it in there, he began to put it on top of the car uh, and stacking the, the sod on top of the car. And, and I said, sir, I really think this is a bad idea. I don't think you should do this. Um, you can come back. We'll hold it here. You can make a couple of trips. You can rent our little truck here for $19.95 for like three hours, and we'll load the whole pallet with a forklift on the back of that truck, and you can take it home and unload it. That way you don't have to touch it twice or three or four times, as it's going to be the case. And he just argued with me over and over. And sure enough, as he drives out of the parking lot, the, the vehicle is really, really low. He hits the first speed bump in the parking lot, and the back tires turn in shocks had blown out it was a bad day and of course the guy jumps out of the vehicle and we're all standing we couldn't help ourselves i mean i'm gonna watch this show right i mean it's right there in front of me and we're standing there trying not to laugh but there's a whole great big face of i told you so right all over and of course the argument continues on and on and on and on and on and as i instructed the gentleman i'm so sorry that you're having these difficulties today but we did our best to warn you right I mean, sometimes people just can't help themselves. They obviously want to suffer. That's all I could really think about is this guy was driving away. You guys ever make bad decisions like that that cause you to suffer, and there's somebody back there telling you you probably shouldn't be doing that, or I told you so, or I'm going to sit here and watch you do that, and whenever bad things happen, I'm going to be here for you. love you just the same. going to laugh at you, but I'm going to be here for you. Am I the only one who does that? I mean, we had plenty of interesting customers over the years. And listen, I loved customers. They were great because they paid us money. But, boy, sometimes they provided more in entertainment value than we could possibly monetize. Right? There was another guy in 155 AD named Polycarp who also suffered. 
And Polycarp, uh, it is uh, suggested that he actually came to faith in Christ because of John, the apostle, who wrote the book of John in Revelation. And he was one of the three who was with Jesus. And Polycarp, in 155 A.D., was killed because of his faith. Now, during his time, the ideal was is that the emperor of Rome was, in fact, God. And as Polycarp was uh, arrested and he was put on trial because he did not kneel to the emperor, he did not praise the emperor, did not raise the emperor up, as he was doing that, it was thought that he was God. And Polycarp said, I will not do that. And so one day they decided that they'd had enough of Polycarp because of all of his teaching about this Christ and about this one God. Uh, they had enough. And so they tied him to a stake and they told him, listen, in front of all of these Romans, denounce all of the atheists. Now, in their mindset, what an atheist was, was anybody who did not pronounce the emperor as God. So Polycarp looked at all the Romans that were sitting there at him, and he says, Away with you, all you atheists. And for his troubles, they burned him at the stake and stabbed him. In 155 A.D., he's thought to be the bishop of Smyrna, as he's often called, one of the early church fathers that led to the, the accelerated growth of the gospel out of that region of the time. But Polycarp believed in one true God. He believed in Jesus Christ as his son, and he was willing to suffer even to die because of his faith. And he's an example to many of us today of what martyrdom looks like. And so on the one hand, we have suffering for people who do really silly things, and it's kind of their fault. And on the other hand, we have people who suffer for the right reasons. Now, we've been walking through 1 Peter for the last couple of weeks, and I want to remind us of our memory verse that I've been trying to get you to memorize. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I think we've got it up here on the screen this morning. It says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his... Keep going. Now, the next seven slides have words removed. Are you all good with that? No. Okay, we've been doing this for seven weeks, okay? And I understand. you got to be quit, you know, concentrated practice. But the reason why I chose this verse is because it really does just remind us that the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift to us. And through his death, through his suffering, he's caused us to have eternal life. And if we read nothing else throughout the book of 1 Peter or really any other part of the Gospels or any other part of the Bible, what we understand is that, that suffering is real and no one's immune from it. But there is hope, and that hope only comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we talk about suffering and we talk about hope in our series hope in hard times. I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to invite you to do something similar to what we did last week. If you have your phones, I want you to go ahead and get your phones out and log into our Facebook page, if, if you know what that is, and just greet our friends who are online this morning. But I'm going to ask you this question, and it's an opinion question, so there's no right answer, and we're not going to tally it up and see who said what. But I'm going to ask you, and you're welcome to comment there too, why do you think most people suffer? Is it their fault, is it someone else's fault, or is it God's fault? What is, what is the, the purpose behind suffering? And so, so I'm going to invite you to just say hello to our friends who are online. And if you're online with us this morning, thank you for worshiping with us. But, but I, I kind of want to know. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about your suffering. Think about the sufferings of others. And this is going to catch up, by the way. We're a couple of seconds ahead live, by the way. But just think about that. Why do most people suffer? Is it their fault? Is it someone else's fault? Or is it God's fault for their suffering? Anybody dare to, to stand up and say, I can tell you I have the right answer? Nobody? I mean, sometimes if you're a parent, you probably look at your children, and, and, and at one point you understand it's, it's your fault because you didn't protect them, but it, it simply moves later on to it's their fault because they didn't listen, right? Parents, are, are you with me on that one? 
But it's a, it's a struggle perhaps maybe to say that it's God's fault. But, but do we not get to a place sometimes whenever we look and wonder why are all these bad things happening? I've done everything nice. It's not like I've, I'm this rampant criminal, but it must be God's fault that I'm suffering this way. I mean, we may not want to actually come to that out loud, but I think maybe in our hearts perhaps there are times by which we think that it is God's fault that we're suffering. Which in that the case, then we get to remove ourselves from the equation and we get to remove others from the equation so therefore it the only person left would be God right so what is the purpose of our suffering and how is that suffering played out for us well this morning as we're kind of looking at some of this we're going to be in first Peter chapter 4 and we're going to start first Peter chapter uh, 4 verse 12 and move our way on but the first thing I want want you to see this morning is this and this is something that I think as Christ followers it's really important is that suffering should be expected now, it's not something that we just sign up for and just love and want to do, but I think it's realistic for us to, to understand that suffering should be expected. And if we're a Christ follower, we need to understand what we sign up for. Now, let's be honest. Nobody puts that in the brochure, do they? Hey, come on, come follow Christ. And in the process of following Christ, uh, you're going to suffer for that. It's going to be challenging and difficult. Your life's going to be hard. Instead, we try to paint the other picture of, no, come follow Christ, and everything's going to be all fine, and everything's going to be better. The problem is that we live in a fallen world, and it's not going to be perfect. Even as we're made to be more like Christ, being pushed towards perfection through him, we're going to suffer along the way. And usually, whenever change is involved, suffering is part of that. But it's unrealistic for us to not understand that suffering should be expected. And here's what Peter says in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised if you are a Christ follower and struggle is coming your way and suffering is coming your way. And there's a really great phrase in there called fiery trial. Now, I love the show Forged in Fire. And in that show Forged in Fire, they, they take metal and they heat it up super hot. And then they pound it with a hammer. And then they heat it up some more and they pound it with a hammer. And they heat it up some more and they pound it with a hammer. And this process goes on and on and on. And they take a, a spring or a set of ball bearings and they eventually turn it into an axe or a, or a knife or something. And the process of forge welding requires a whole lot of heat, a whole lot of pounding. And this is what Jesus is actually referring to and how Peter is bringing this out and saying, fiery trials are coming to you, but not so that you'll be defeated and broken down, but to test you. And in the process of your testing to bring glory to the Father. And if you're a Christ follower in these days or in our days right now, and you're going through fiery trials, it should not surprise you if something strange is here, because after all, you're aliens and you're foreigners in this world. And the laws and the rules of this fallen world should not be the ones that you're trying to adhere to. Instead, you ought to be following the laws of God himself, who has sent you in as a soldier, as a foreigner, into a, a land that is captivated by evil and all kinds of corruption, and asking you not to fit in, but to go in and stand out. And when you go in and stand out, he's saying you are the proverbial square peg in the round hole, and you're going to get pounded until you, you fit into that hole. And you're never supposed to actually fit into it. And so we're going to heat you up, and we're going to hit you with a hammer. We're going to heat you up, and we're going to hit you with a hammer. We're going to heat you up, we're going to hit you with a hammer. By the time this thing is done, if we've done it right, we have hardened steel that is ready for battle. That's not going to break and shatter whenever it gets tested. 
And it's going to be the weapon that we need in order to survive through this. And this is what Peter is saying is don't be surprised by a fiery trial. It's actually one of the marks of a Christ follower. And so if you don't find yourself in a spiritual battle, you're not suffering because of Christ himself. You may not actually be in the right place. You're just suffering perhaps maybe because you made a bad decision or someone else in a fallen world made a bad decision that impacted your life. But it is actually possible that God's causing you to suffer for the purpose of refining you and making you stronger and burning away the impurities and shaping you into the weapon and tool that he wants you to be. Because we're not designed to just be that way. And so Peter is saying that you should expect these types of things. Now, that's probably not what his readers wanted to hear the first time, and it's certainly not what we want to hear today. We're going to consider it happy whenever we're suffering, aren't we? When bad things and, and are just coming at us, boy, lucky us, huh? This is exactly what I signed on with Christianity. Sometimes we do a very bad job of not explaining that. Because as Christians, we're new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And because we're new, we no longer should fit into the old. Nobody's ever bought a Mercedes Benz and put their old Ford seats into the car itself. They want new seats too. And that refining process for us is that we're working through this and God is working in us, not for the moment of the fiery trial, but for what comes afterwards. For what comes afterwards. The second thing that Peter tells us is this, is that suffering should cause rejoicing. Now this is just a weird thing, isn't it? Man, I just can't wait to suffer this morning. Is that how y'all woke up this morning? I know a couple of you probably dreaded going to church going, I wonder what he's going to do to me today. I wonder how he's going to... He's going to mock me and hurt me today. I wonder, I wonder how bad my toes are going to hurt today. Well, you know what? Praise God for that. I hope I am marching all over your toes because I love you and I don't want to see you unprepared. I don't want to see you go in as aluminum when you need to come out as steel because this world's going to break you in half and they don't care about that. It is my job, my role, and my joy to teach you the truth of God's word because the fiery trial that exists, by the way, for the church is to prepare us to save the rest of the world through the truth of telling the gospel. And we got to be hardened for that. we got to be ready for that. But here's what he says. He says, suffering should cause rejoicing. In 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, looking at those verses for just a moment, the one thing that, that, that should cause us to rejoice is this. If we're really in rejoicing because of our suffering, it's because what we know is that the Holy Spirit is resting upon us and the Holy Spirit is working through us. And we're seeing the glory of God in our temporary as a taste of what is to come. And if we're not seeing that in our suffering and we're expecting our suffering just to give us a reason to just whine and complain and cry that life's not fair and things aren't going my way and they're hard, we'll never actually see that while we still have breath and life, even though our circumstances are hard, we have a reason to rejoice because our suffering actually is probably the closest thing we have in identifying with what Christ did for us. We rejoice insofar as we identify with the suffering of Christ himself for what he did on the cross for us that he didn't have to do that we most certainly did not deserve. That an innocent man was accused of so many wrong things, his name was slandered, his beard was plucked out, the thorns were jammed into his skull, he was nailed to a cross, he was beaten and whipped and ridiculed and mocked by all these other people, not for anything he did, but for everything that you and I did. 
in so much that we can join in Christ's suffering, we identify with him. And look at the very end of verse 14 there. It says, because of the name of Christ. Now listen, there is not another name in the entire world that incites so much anger and frustration and violence than Jesus Christ. Not another name. There is no greater name in heaven and earth than his, and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But there is not a single name in the entire world that creates such anger and animosity and frustration than Jesus Christ. You tell somebody that, that you're a Texan fan and they're going to laugh at you because they're a Cowboy fan. Maybe not this, this right now, but after last week. I saw Kyler Murray is now undefeated against high school football teams. Y'all see that? Anyway, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I'll ridicule you because of that. You know, that's just not who I am. Maybe maybe you've got a different identification. Tell somebody you're a Republican or that you're a Democrat. And yeah, they may get a little frustrated about how you may vote. Tell somebody you're pro-life or you're pro-choice. They may get a little upset about, about how you pick on that. But you tell somebody that you're a Christ follower, and there is something about that that gets to the very core of someone. Because there's a hatred of Jesus Christ right now and always has been in this world. Because in Christ, he reveals who we really are and who he thinks we can be, and he's the only one who can make it that way. And so many times people look and say, well, listen, if God knew half of what I've done, he would never love me. Let me tell you something. God knows everything you've done and everything you will do, and despite that, he loves you. But when you bring his name to light, there is an animosity and a hatred that comes across any person, especially if... They are wrapped up in the sin and the love of this world that separates them from their creator because the last thing the enemy wants to do is lose one of his followers. He actually doesn't want more people to follow him. He just wants more people to suffer and be separated from God for eternity. Whereas God, our creator, wants a big family. He desires everybody. And he wants us to identify with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But there is something about in his name where we see the glory of God revealed. And so when, when, when James and John were preaching, they were told, stop this preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we don't know any other name by which we should preach. Could you imagine a church that doesn't bring up the name of Jesus? Could you imagine a church that tries to offer any sort of hope for any circumstance that doesn't proclaim that there is a God who had a son who died for you? Could you imagine going to a funeral? And looking at all the people who are mourning the person who is in that casket and saying, I really don't know why you're all here today because after all, nothing really matters at all. We're just wasting our time because once this life is over, it's over. When in reality, what we ought to be saying is that if we die in this life and we know Jesus, we're promised eternal life. And if we don't know him, we're promised eternal death. And people don't want to come to those absolutes and realities because it's the name of Jesus that saves and this is a day and age by which that name itself brings up such hatred and violence. And if you don't believe me, you just look at what's going on in other parts of the world. Just this week in Chile, three Catholic churches were burned to the ground as people cheered and raved about this church falling down because they did not like hearing what the, the bishops and the popes and the pastors had to say about their sin separating them from a holy God. Friends, this is what Peter's talking about. Jesus even said a time will come where you will be scourged in your own synagogues for proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised whenever suffering comes, but we should find rejoicing in this because there's no reason for people to truly persecute us even to the point of death if it weren't for Jesus. It's not something that we often like to embrace, but I'm telling you we ought to. Finally, Peter says in this last section, he says, suffering is always our own fault. I want you to chew on that for just a minute. 
When I asked you earlier, was it your fault, somebody else's fault, or God's fault for your suffering? I think Peter lays out an argument here that says suffering is always our own fault. Every bit of suffering we do, it's on us. Another one of those customers came into Lowe's one day, and he bought some of those, those curtain poles, the wooden ones that are like two-inch dowel rods, and they, they come in eight-foot sections. He probably bought about 20 of them, and he taped them all together like a big bundle of straws, right? And we're like, okay, this is how he's choosing to transport them. And then he gets outside, and he takes that roll of duct tape, and he duct tapes that thing around his body and gets on a 10-speed bicycle. Can you, can you just imagine this for a moment? Now, I'm going to tell you, you better believe I watched this one because every part of that show was about to make me laugh. And, you know, when somebody gets to that point to where they're duct taping bundles of wood around their back to jump on a 10-speed, I'm really not sure how to actually help you. And to be fair, the, the, the flesh side of me doesn't really want to because I want to see what happens next. And he gets on his bike, and he's rolling, and he makes the first turn on that 10-speed bike with the thin tires, and sure enough, here's what happens. He leans a little bit forward. The weight wasn't distributed right, and it was in slow motion. Boop, and he toppled over, and he's stuck hanging with his legs in the air on this bicycle. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that man's suffering was his own fault. Not to say I couldn't have helped him. Not to say I couldn't have offered a hand. But I think that man's suffering was his own fault. But here's what... Here's what Peter says, this suffering is always our own fault. And in 1 Peter 4, 15 through 18, hang on with me for a second as we read this. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, this is actually one of three times the word Christian is actually used in the Scripture. If any of you suffers as a Christian, a proclaimer of Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That right there, if you're an underliner in your Bible, you should underline that right there. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You want to know why I think it's always our fault that, that, that we suffer? It's because if we're proclaiming the name of Christ, we're in the right spot. If we're not proclaiming the, the, the name of Christ, we're dealing with the world and its consequences, which is temporary and momentary, and they only satisfy us for the moment, and there's never enough. Suffering is our fault whether we do it right or we do it wrong. The difference re- is, is the reason by which we suffer. But heed this warning and listen to me clearly on this. You can read through any of the Old Testament, particularly in the minor prophets where we just walked through that a while back. God's judgment begins in his house. It doesn't start with the, with the godless, sinful people on the outside. It starts with his house. It starts with his people who have said, I proclaim the name of Jesus, and because I proclaim the name of Jesus, I'm, I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to take hold of my life, not in such a way that he thinks for me, but I'm in agreement with him as he gives me strength and power and authority in the name of Jesus that I might proclaim the goodness of him to others and see him. And God wants to send me through a fiery trial through a moment of refining to heat me up and hit me with a hammer and heat me up and hit me with a hammer so that I might be a useful tool for the gospel. And if he's going to be able to do that with me, I can have hope in him because he loves me and I've accepted his grace. And if he's going to treat me that way and I'm going to suffer because of the name of Jesus and I'm going to come out of this better and refined and prepared to do the work that he prepared for me ahead of time, what hope does the outside world who has none of that? None whatsoever. 
And as Christ followers in the house of God, if we're being refined by these fiery trials, if God is working on us and heating us up and hitting us with a hammer and shaping us and molding us into who he wants to be and causing his spirit to rest upon us and seeing that we are glorifying God in our suffering, if we're that example for the rest of the world to look, the rest of the world's going to look at us and say, why are they happy about this? Why are they rejoicing about this? Why are they still continuing to worship this God that's allowing this to happen? It's simply because this is temporary. And God wants to show the rest of the world that if I am willing to discipline my children and to judge my own children, I'm willing to do it for every part of my creation, and I'm going to do so. It's not a matter of trying to scare them into submission. It's a matter of showing them that no matter what the situation is in this world, that there is a God that's greater than that. And when those hard times come my way, I'm going to rejoice because I didn't get surprised by suffering. I expected it to come because I was willing to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And if I'm willing to do so, I'm willing to accept the discipline that comes to me from a God who loves me. And the reason for that is he wants to shape me more like him so that I can tell others about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But if I cut and run every time things get hard or things get a little more difficult or I don't like the way the church does this or I don't like they do have this program or don't have that program or do whatever, if I get all that nonsense wrapped up and I don't pay attention to the reality that God has me here for a reason, that he's invited me into his home and he wants me to be more like him for the purpose of those who are not here. And he's blessing me in the middle of that that I'm missing, that suffering has a key point in my life. The identification of Jesus Christ who suffered needlessly on my behalf because he loved me and the strengthening of me so that I might go and tell others about Christ. Suffering is absolutely my fault no matter, no matter what the decision is. I've either chosen to suffer on behalf of the name of Jesus or I've chosen to suffer in this world with temporary realities because I've denied the name of Jesus Christ. And I got news for you, friend. There are fewer, more frightening places to be than outside of the will of God. It is God's will that we would suffer. You may not like that. You may not want to hear that. But it's his will that we, we might suffer so that he may be magnified in our suffering. In John chapter 3, we, we, we see the John three sixteen. We, we know that verse and we move a little bit further on. John the Baptist apostles are, are sitting with him and they notice to him one day and they say, hey, have you noticed that Jesus has more followers than what you've got? You know what John's answer was? I must decrease and he must increase. There must be less of me and a whole lot more of him. And so if I lose my following, so what? As long as I don't lose the one I'm following. That's what matters. And so as we look at suffering and we're, we're dealing with hope in hard times, I just want to put this out there for you and let you chew on this. If you're suffering, if your suffering doesn't give you hope, then you're probably suffering for the wrong reasons. It's an absolute waste, whatever your sufferings may be. If you're not suffering and it doesn't bring you hope in God alone, then you're probably suffering for the wrong reasons. It is likely that you're suffering because you're trying to be more of you and less of him. It's likely that you're suffering because you wait until you get to a point to bring God into the conversation, thinking that you can handle this or you can fix this or it's not that bad. Maybe perhaps you're suffering because you've categorized your sin and you realize that some are not as bad as others and some aren't worth God's time to deal with. But let me tell you something. Every single precious drop of blood that Jesus Christ laid out for you was for every sin you ever committed. Sin serious. And suffering is too. 
And if suffering doesn't bring you hope, you're probably suffering for the wrong reasons. Now, I know that many of you, like myself, have found yourself in situations that you just don't think God's there for you. You just don't think that he hears you. You just don't think that he cares about you. And you just don't think that if there was a God or a God that was even remotely in love with me, he would have let whatever happened to me happen. But you, you don't in the same breath turn around and thank him for allowing you to make your own dumb decisions. The things that you do that cause suffering. Dear God, thank you for my freedom that I can go out and be just as stupid as I want to be. You're the man. Dear God, I made a couple decisions that I really didn't like that much. Somebody else made a decision that impacted my life that I couldn't impact and I'm suffering for it and now it's your fault. I know I'm not the only one because I'm not the only sinner in the room. I'm not the only one who misses the reality that sometimes we suffer because we make bad decisions. Sometimes we suffer because somebody else makes a bad decision. But the only time we suffer for righteousness sake is when we made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and put him first. And the suffering that we're talking about in this world is temporary. So how can you know that you're suffering for the right reasons? How can you know that? How can you evaluate your suffering and wonder, is this my doing, is this someone else's doing, or is God doing this? Well, I'd like to point out a couple things to you this morning. First of all, do you have the right attitude? And when you think about your suffering, the last thing you really want to do is sit down and go, you know what, I'm going to put on a smile today. I'm going to sing every song from Annie and know that I'm never fully dressed without a smile. I'm just going to go out there and shock this world because I'm just going to be the happiest person that you ever did see and nobody's going to know any of my problems, right? That's really not an attitude. That's a lie, okay? But think about your attitude for a moment. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Listen, Jesus was not immune to the reality of how difficult this world was and the challenges and the difficulties of it. But what he said was that if you're going to be called by my name, I've overcome this world. And the reason that you're still here is because God the Father is doing two things. One, he's refining you and helping you and letting you be a light and a beacon to others. And two, he's preparing a place for you. I don't know about you. I'd take an unfinished house in heaven if I was with Jesus. But he's doing great and amazing things. And he's promised us each reward for what we do on earth because he's going to start with the household of God and judge us for our, our deeds. He's going to judge us for what we did and what we didn't do. And the longer we're here, the more opportunity we have to do good things that he set for us in advance, to tell others about the gospel, to bring people up, to hug on those people who are suffering because of their bad decisions and lead them to a place of Jesus. Many years ago, I worked with International Justice Ministries, and they were in charge of helping rescue and repatriate young girls who were involved in sex trafficking. And as I sat down and I talked with a guy from IJM, we were, we were talking about, amongst the many things that are so difficult in this ministry, what is some of those difficult things? And he says the difficult thing is that when you, when you rescue a, a child, particularly out of that terrible environment, that the first thing that the government of that country wants to do and most countries wants to do is repatriate them back to where they came from, which usually means giving them back to the family that sold them into that to begin with. And he says, and what we end up doing is we just rescue them out of a physical hell, but we don't get to them about Jesus, and we're just trading one inevitable reality for another. He says it's not enough just to rescue people out of these bad situations. We've got to tell them about Jesus. We 
got to tell them about a God who loves them. And if you're a child who's gone through that, that's a hard message to swallow because if there's a God out there who loves me, how can he let something like that happen? It's not an easy conversation in a fallen world, but here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm willing to go to the cross on behalf of all of those injustices and all those things and make them right. Sometimes you do have to just get people out of a bad situation, but you've got to get them to Jesus. And if you don't do both, you're not doing enough of it. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. If you're suffering right now and you're not sure about that, check your attitude. Do you have an attitude to say, you know what, this is bad. I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. Wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Certainly not going to invite my friends into this. But here's what I do know, is that Jesus is bigger than this. And because he is, I have faith and confidence in him that he's going to rescue me through this and see that on the other side of this, all is going to be better. And until then, I'm going to expect suffering because I'm suffering in the name of Jesus. Second thing we, we, we can ask ourselves is, are we being changed or are we being transformed? Now, that's an interesting word. Are we being changed or are we being transformed? You see, many times we think that suffering, after we get through it, we change the situation and we go from suffering to joy or, as the scripture we just read, is glory. And that's not actually not the case. We don't exchange suffering for glory. We're transforming suffering into glory because it's only through seeing the glory, the majesty of God himself in what he's doing and who he is that we can take that suffering and we can identify with Christ. And we can see whatever that situation is, is that God's glory is greater than all of those sufferings. And no matter what the situation is, if God were to take us out of that suffering, we might actually forget about him for a moment. God, thanks for taking care of my temporary situation. I was really having enough of that. I was getting overwhelmed. And now that I'm out of that situation, no reason for you and I to talk anymore. When in fact, what should be happening is in the midst of that suffering, God is transforming that suffering into glory to say, you know what, as you walk with me through this, you were with me always, even through the ends of the earth, even through the dark valleys. Yea, I walk through there, your rod and your staff are with me because you love me, right? I'm just mixing all kinds of scriptures up right now, okay? But this is who the character of God is. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 10. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we're looking at suffering and thinking that suffering is doing nothing but tearing us down, we're missing the opportunity for us to say, you know what, in the midst of this suffering, I'm being heated up and hit with a hammer. I'm being heated up and hit with a hammer. And the reason is that God wants me to be stronger when this is over. And he's taking me through a process. And because I can trust him in the middle of this, perhaps maybe even he willed it that I would suffer. And I may plead with him to take away this suffering. But God knows better that I probably need that suffering. Because in that suffering, as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 3, we are more reliant upon him in the process of that. And if we find ourselves in the middle of suffering, blaming others, blaming God, instead of asking God, what is it that you would be teaching me through this? How are you making me stronger and for what purpose? Then we can see that God's got hold of us in such a way to say, listen, I'm changing your attitude and I'm transforming your suffering into glory. 
And as you accept what God is doing in the midst of all of the sufferings, wherever they may be, what you see is if, if this is how God is giving me peace now, well, I can't wait till all the suffering is gone and all I have is peace. He's preparing me for that. Another question we can ask ourselves is if we find joy in our suffering. Isn't that something? It's not a place we default to. It's not a place we go to automatically. But can we find joy in our suffering? In Acts chapter 3 and 4, we see Peter and James and John and all three of the, of the apostles were having difficulties with the ruling class of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that ruled over. This is shortly after Jesus was, was, was crucified and resurrected and 40 days had passed and then Pentecost came 10 days after that and, and they were out proclaiming the name of Jesus and thousands of people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of the message that they were proclaiming. Now the ruling class had had enough of this and they brought them in and they, they, they threatened to beat them and flog them and they said you can preach any way or anything you want but you cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And over and over in their persecution they prayed for more miracles and more signs so they could preach more in the name of Jesus. And they argued with them and a man named Gamaliel who was the, the teacher of Paul himself actually whenever he was in synagogue school, whatever that may be. And he says, you know, we saw this before. There was this guy that said he was the Christ and he really wasn't. And after the insurrection and the fighting and everything else, that little movement went away. And so here's the thing. If, if what these guys are preaching is really from God himself, then, then there's nothing we can do about it. We could stop this if we wanted to. But if it's not, don't worry. It'll fizzle itself out and it'll go away. Peter and John were warned. They were slapped on the wrist. Now, you guys just go on about your business. Stop disrupting anymore. But you stop preaching in this name of Jesus. And we're just not going to have any more of that. Here's what they said in Acts chapter 5. Verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I told you earlier that whenever you, you bring up the name of Jesus, you tell people you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, you're one who, who, who has been saved by God's Holy Son, that it elicits something in people who discredit you, discount you, disbelieve you in such a way. And for these guys, they were saying it was an honor for them to be worthy, to be dishonored because of the name of Jesus. Now, what about you? I got news for you. This world's not going to get better on its own. It's going to have to probably be wiped out with a consuming fire, earthquake, plague, pestilence, the whole good parts of all of Leviticus and Revelation. Go back and read it for yourself. It's not a rosy picture we want to paint, but I'm going to tell you something. At the end, the victor is going to stand, and he's going to call his people in the valley of decision, and he's going to say, I've already decided who's mine and who's not because they chose me. We want to be on the right side of that. But right now, while we're on this earth, the best way to avoid persecution is look like you're persecuted. But that's not what we're called to do. The fiery trial is actually going to come to the church. And many a scholar have, have predicted and thought that it's coming this way or that way. I don't have any idea how that's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all my heart the bulk of the church, those who are going to church wherever they may be right now, they're going to fall by the wayside. And they're going to be the ones that they look at Christ and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why Peter wrote this letter, to prepare for what is to come. Friends, if you think what we're suffering through right now is bad, you just wait until they get organized. You just wait until this becomes a massive movement led by the Antichrist that we're told is going to happen in the Scripture that is out persecuting people because they proclaim Jesus Christ. It scares some people away from the truth, but it ought to solidify us to the truth. And it ought to remind us that no matter what happens to our bodies, we can be hurt, but we cannot be harmed. 
the only thing that can harm us is God himself. And that while we suffer in this body, we're suffering as, as, as strangers in an alien place, awaiting the glory of God and being in his presence forever. We can find joy in that because we're being dishonored because a decision that we made, because a better decision was made on our behalf for Jesus to go to the cross. These are not the rosiest, sweetest, happiest times. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a whole lot of sheeple out there that are wondering what's going on. We're going to have a couple of answers to give them. We can give them the world's answers and say, you know what, fend for yourself, do the best you possibly can. Or we can give them the truth and say, trust in Jesus no matter what happens. If you put your trust in him forever and ever and you give your heart and soul to him, he has died for you already. The payment's been made. And you'll be with him forever in glory. And whatever happens in this world doesn't really matter. doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight and struggle and live and survive and encourage one another. But at the end of the day, all that's going to matter is that Jesus is still that much with me. That much with me. Finally, I want to ask you this. Is it, if in your suffering, if you're truly suffering for the right reasons, does it make you more committed to God? Does it make you more committed to the one who created you and saves you? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, as he finishes off this chapter, he says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Don't miss that. While doing good. I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering and I'm moaning and crying, I have my own little pity party, and the last thing I want to do is good. And I've met many of people that if I could get them out doing something to take them away from their cares and their troubles and their, their disappointments and the things that they're struggling with, and they go serve someone else or do something nice or something that really doesn't reward them or pay them back, it's amazing what happens to their heart and their attitude. And they realize that, you know what, while I'm out doing good, even in the midst of my difficulties, God is still using me, he's still blessing me, he's still heating me up, and he's still hitting me with a hammer. And he's forging me into what he wants me to be, a tool or a weapon for his use, for his glory. And as we suffer, if we think we're actually suffering for the wrong reasons, and I'm going to tell you something, that's when we start blaming God for our suffering instead of finding hope in our suffering because we're suffering for the name of Jesus Christ himself. And we need to be prepared for that. Because the, the, the rainiest day plans are made when the sun is shining. And this is what Peter is saying, is that things are, are difficult, but they're not as bad as they're going to be. And now's the time for you to make a decision. And so let me ask you, are you more committed to God because of the results of your suffering? I know many of you, and I know many of you well. I know some of you that are online too. I know that, that many of you ha have lost jobs. You've lost family members. You've lost friends. Some of that you've lost because of your faith. Some of that you've lost because of your belief in God and your stance on things. Some of that is, and, and test this theory at Thanksgiving, because your political views are different than your friends and your family. None of that stuff matters. Let me just tell you that right now. None of that stuff matters, because the time will come by government of any man whatsoever is actually going to turn against God himself and against the church. And it's not going to be what they allow us to do or don't allow us to do. It's going to be what our hearts have already said. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to be dishonored in his name. And I'm going to suffer in this world because glory is promised to me. I'm going to be a part of that. And that my suffering gives me hope because I suffer for the right reasons. What about you? Let's pray. In this reality, we see a variety of suffering. We see relationships that are, that are in danger, that are hurting, that are struggling.